You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, really always encouraged that we're still continuing to gather like this, even though the situation in our lives is different or it looks different than it has. And I just want to commend you for taking time most of these Sundays to still gather as a church family. And if you're visiting with us, I want to welcome you. Uh, we're really glad that you've joined us as well. If I've not virtually met you, let alone personally met you, uh, my name's Justin. I serve as the associate pastor here um, at Midtown. Would love to meet you virtually if you want to give me a shout this week, or uh, hopefully we'll be meeting face-to-face before too very long. Uh, this morning, we're actually continuing our series, the third in a series called What's After Life. And in this series, we've been explaining the Christian beliefs about heaven and the afterlife. Uh, the first week we talked about evidence for, for afterlife. The second week we talked about what heaven looks like, what it, what it's really described as. And this morning I'm really excited because I get to do what I call the best part because we're talking about the highlight of heaven, the very, very best thing about heaven. And so I'm excited that I could talk to you about that. I think though, before I really tell you what it is, give the spoiler alert, I would really like to say, uh, I think a better place to start would be starting by what I would call the low light of earth. There is a highlight of heaven, but really, we first need to begin by looking at the low light of earth. And to do that, we need to go to the very start of the Bible, back in Genesis 1 through 3, where we see the story of creation. And there we see the perfect world that God intended. In the first chapters of the Bible, we see a beautiful creation where everything is perfect and nothing is broken a garden and trees and fruit. It was great to look at, was great to eat. A center of the garden, a tree of life and water that flowed to, to keep the garden lush. And we find Adam and Eve in perfect relationship with one another, perfect harmony such that they're described as being naked and unashamed. But best of all, we see them walking with God, that this garden that they're in God himself is living with them and walking with them and talking with them. That's the best part of the way that God intended the earth. And then, of course, we know that Adam and Eve, just in the third chapter, they step away from God's plan. They eat of the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat of. And from then, everything has been broken. Creation was broken. Earthquakes, there's tornadoes, there's hurricanes. There's droughts, there's famine, there's global warming, and human relationships from that point on were broken. So now we do have bigotry and, and hatred and racism. And what happened this week to George Floyd, sexual abuse, divert divorces, estranged relationships, loneliness, and wars. Creation's broken, human relationships are broken, and most importantly, our relationship with God was broken at that time. All suffering from creation, all suffering of humanity ultimately stem from our broken relationship with God. And because God is so holy, he had to banish Adam and Eve from this garden. He made for them some cloths, made a sacrifice to forgive them and gave them clothing. But he had to banish them from his presence and away from the tree of life because they couldn't live forever. He didn't want them to live forever. And he wanted a restored world. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we see that the Lord kind of summarizes the end of the story. It says, the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And he drove the man out and placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden, the cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way 
to the tree of life. The intimacy that Adam and Eve had with God, walking with him in the garden, would never be the same again. And this was the low light of earth, the day that humanity was banished from God's presence in the garden. It's the same low light that we see displayed so prominently this week that breaks our hearts. It ultimately was because we were banished from God's presence. I guess if that's the low light on earth, you might guess what the highlight of heaven would be. The highlight of heaven is not going to be just the beauty that we talked about last week. Yes, it's beautiful. We're going to see and experience things that are just so fun and awesome and beautiful. It's not just the relationships that are going to be restored like we talked about last week. That's going to be great too. We're going to have restored relationships with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. But the true highlight of heaven is that we're going to get to be with God again. The same intimacy and the walking in the garden that Adam and Eve had, we're going to have that in God's presence. We'll walk with him and we will see Jesus face to face and be with him. And that, my friends, is the highlight of heaven. We looked at the first few chapters of Genesis. The Bible, if you know, really sums itself up well, kind of going back to a, a new creation narrative in the last two chapters of Revelation, the last, two, the last book of the Bible. And look at the way that this new earth, what this heaven is like. See if you can point out what the highlight is in Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the dwelling place. God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning, no crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You see it in the announcement. John's getting this revelation, this vision of what heaven's going to be like, and the first proclamation that comes from the throne is the highlight of heaven dwelling place of God is now going to be with his people. We're restored as Adam and Eve were to the right relationship with God where we can walk with him and talk with him and be present with him and see Jesus face to face. May I suggest to you all that this is what you want more than anything else in your life. All the stuff we talked about in weeks before, we should be grateful for those things that we're going to experience, but a heaven without God, without Jesus would not be heaven. He is the highlight that we get to be with him. See, we were created in the image of God, and we've each got a God-shaped hole in our hearts that we were designed for this intimacy and this relationship with, with God. And one day, we can have it again. I love Randy Elkhorn's uh, book on heaven, one of the best books out there, and here's what he says about this highlight of heaven. He says, we may imagine that we want a thousand different things, but God is the one we really long for. His presence brings satisfaction, and his absence brings thirst and longing. Our longing for heaven is a longing for God, a longing that involves not only our inner beings, but our bodies as well. Being with God is the heart and soul of heaven. Every other pleasure we derive will be secondary to his presence. God's greatest gift to us is and always will be himself. This is the highlight of heaven, guys. We were right last week to talk about the immense beauty we were right last week to talk about the joyful reunion with loved ones. These things are incredible, but they're only secondary 
In fact, we, once we see God, we will see all of these things as gifts from God, making him even greater to us. Seeing God will be like, when we see God, everything else we see will be like seeing it for the first time. Because not only will we see God, we will then be able to see through the, the lens by which we see everything will be through him. All the secondary joys will just be derivative in nature, but they cannot be separated from God. So flowers will be beautiful because God is beautiful. Animals will be delightful because God is delightful. Hiking with our friends will be joyful because God is joyful. Working will be fulfilling because God is fulfilling. We will love our friends and our family and brothers and sisters because God is love. God is the highlight of heaven. When Jesus was speaking to his disciples, this is the way that he described heaven as well. On the night that he was betrayed, he was sharing the most he'd ever shared with his disciples about what was about to happen. And as they were getting fearful, he says this in John 14. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I'm going there to prepare, would I not have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place that I'm going. Jesus spoke about his father's plans of this new heaven and new earth and used a metaphor of a house that was being built with, with rooms that he was preparing for each of them. But for what reason? You see it there at the end of verse three. It's, he says, I'm going to take you back to be with me. It's all about who we're going to be with, that you may be where I am. The highlight of heaven is that we're going to be with Jesus. We're going to be with him. And he's preparing a place for us for that very reason, because he wants to be with us. You can tell that his uh, follower, Thomas, was really concerned because he wanted to be with Jesus too. And so he then asked him the question, Lord, we know where you're going. We don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What Thomas was saying was the cry that's really in all of our hearts is, we want to be with you. Jesus had just told them that he was going to leave. And they said, wait, we want to be with you. Jesus was assuring that he was prepared And the heart of that place would be that very thing. They would be with him. And he is the way, the truth of life. He is the way to be with the Father and to be with Jesus himself in eternity. Now, the reason Jesus could speak so confidently about this reality was that he's the only person ever to exist on earth that actually came from heaven. You see, as Christians, we believe that the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit dwelt together eternally. And in this time in history, God sent his Son to earth for us to pay the payment for our sins. But he could speak with authority because he had been there. In fact, one day there's a religious teacher that actually comes to Jesus and asks him this very question that we've been talking about in this series. Like, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And so when Jesus is speaking to this religious leader, he says this to him. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. See, Jesus was saying, like, you can trust me. I know the way to eternal life because that's where I'm from. <laughs> Only someone who's been there can speak with this authority to say, I know what it's like, and I know what I'm preparing for you. And I know that I've come here for the purpose that I would be lifted up so that all who believe in me could have this eternal life. He would have known, the, the religious leader, that is, would have known about the story in Numbers chapter 21. 
It was a story where there were snakes that were biting the Israelites and many of them were dying. And Moses was told to make a bronze snake and to raise it to the air. And then whoever would look to the snake, the bronze snake would live and wouldn't perish. And so the, the leader would have known what he was talking about here. And Jesus was very clearly pointing to himself that, that he knew he was going to be lifted up on a cross and that salvation was going to be given for those that would look to him just as they looked to that snake. And that was the purpose for which he came. Because in the very next verse, you'll know it well, John three sixteen, he says to this religious leader, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send a son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The father did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. What he did is he sent him here to provide a way to have eternal life, to give us back that opportunity to have the highlight of heaven. He promised to take us where he came from to where he's now preparing a place for us so that we could experience the highlight of heaven being in perfect relationship with God in his presence and walking in life, the rest of our life with Jesus. If we were to return back to the, the passage in Revelation, the Apostle John's vision, the final words that are spoken say this. He says, he who's seated on the throne also said this, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost, the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And the class of the best part, I will be their God and they will be my children. God's saying at the very end here, Revelation 21, second to last chapter in the Bible, that it's done. <clears throat> at this point, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, which means he's the beginning and the end. He sees the end and the beginning, and it's done. The new creation has come. And the highlight of that new creation is the fact that he will be our God and that we will get to be his people, that we will be in a family together with God as our Father. God is making everything new. And I can't wait for this day, guys. Like we believe this. This is our hope. We, we trust Jesus' words that he said that he would do that. And when we put our faith in him, we can be assured that that promise is true for us. And what a day that's going to be. If you've been following with us through this series, you know that we've uh, been weaving in stories of those who have uh, experienced near-death experiences. And they've told the stories that are pretty similar to things that we found in scripture. Now, we don't believe that the stuff that I'm telling you this morning is true because of these stories that we're hearing. We believe it's true because we believe that these are the recorded words of Jesus and they're trustworthy. But when we hear these evidences that kind of on the side and these stories that people have had, they at the very least can inspire us to imagine how great this day would be. And so I want us to watch one together. Lying in bed one night, I had some pain in my calf. The next morning, I went in to see the physician and immediately ended up in the emergency room. The ultrasound showed five blood clots. Some of them were occluding my pulmonary artery. And once there's full occlusion of pulmonary artery, in a matter of seconds, the person can die. The physician came in to extract some blood for a blood sample. My body started convulsing. 
And so it was at that point where I, uh, things went dark. I could faintly see my body as I was rising. I was literally rising. And at that point, there was peace. But there was a darkness in the midst of where I was that was illuminated by a light that was ushered from above. And it was cascading down. And as I was rising, I, I cried out the name of Jesus Christ. The next moment, everything was illuminated. I felt his face and his arm was around me. And the first thing I remember saying is, this is love. And he continued to walk with me. I'm going to send you back. I'm going to return you. And your purpose will be revealed one moment at a time. Because if I were to reveal your purpose in full, you would not be dependent upon me. You would be dependent upon yourself. I wanted so much to stay, but I heard this beautiful music. Pretty amazing story. We don't know exactly what that day is going to look like, but we can take Jesus at his word. That it's going to be a wonderful day and the thing that we've been created for we're going to get to experience in this new heaven. The highlight of heaven is the presence of God. As wonderful as that sounds, it's sad to know that there's still some people who don't believe in God, perhaps don't even believe that there's eternal life, um, or don't believe that Jesus is the way, like he said he was the way. Their hearts can get hard, or they could just be not interested. And I wouldn't have much integrity as a pastor or as a friend if I didn't also point out the last verse in this passage in Revelation, because it didn't end where we ended it. There was one more verse. Verse seven says, those who are victorious will inherit all this and they will be there and I will be their God and they will be my children. But to the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You see, there are others who instead of eternal life will experience what the scriptures describe as a, a second death. This, of course, is an extremely sobering truth. And so let me just say a few, few words about it. First, we have to know that this list of the sins that was listed there, that that is not what prevents someone or qualifies or disqualifies someone from eternal life or second death. We know that by comparing it to other scriptures. We know that because all of us could point to those things and say, we've done most of those things that are listed right there. Um, and we could add to that list. I know I certainly could myself, but it's not what does that. We just read Jesus' words. He was very clear to the religious leader. What is it that, that gets, is required to have eternal life? That was the question that the leader posed to Jesus. And he was very clear that it was just belief in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. That means will not experience the second death, but instead will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Guys, God loves the world. He loves every single person so much that he sent Jesus to die for them. He didn't come like it says, he just said of himself, he didn't get sent to condemn the world. He came to save. That's how much he loves everyone to save them from second death and give them eternal life. 
That's the length that God would go to show us his love. In fact, he was the one that tasted death for us, that on the cross, he was the one for the first time in his whole life in eternity with the father would shout out on the cross, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced hell himself, being separated from the presence of God, which is hell. He experienced it. That's the lengths to which God would go to, to show the world that he loves them and to provide them eternal life. That's the God that loves you, the God me. But Jesus makes that incredible proclamation of what he did to give away for us to have eternal life. You have to read the very next verses because he also said to that religious leader, these next two sentences, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The verdict, Jesus says, is that the light, this light, even the guy with the near-death experience described, this incredible light has come. He's come to reveal God's love and to make a way for us to have eternal life and to live with God forever. But instead of loving him, some have chosen to love other things or rejected him. This is the verdict, he says. The truth is that the cross has done everything. It's removed every barrier for us to live with God forever except one. And that's our own choice. God loved the world. Anyone can receive him. Anyone can believe. It's a free gift that's given to us. But still some choose not to receive it. And if the presence of God is the essence of heaven, then the absence of God is the, is the essence of hell. And to hell then is to live forever without God. Those who don't believe in, in Jesus or don't desire his presence in eternity, in one sense, um, they're going to live like they've lived on earth without God. As C.S. Lewis powerfully portrays in his storybook, The Great Divorce, some people are given opportunity and opportunity and, and shown the light in wonderful ways, but have just have decided that that's not what they want. C.S. Lewis kind of summarizes his views on this this way. There, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. In other words, you've, you've lived without God on earth and you can do the same in eternity if you don't consider me the highlight of heaven. I want to pause and say that I have, I have so many friends that I love so, so very much that don't believe this. These, some that don't believe in God at all. Some that don't believe in eternal life at all. Many that don't believe that Jesus is the way. Um, and I, because of this truth, I try to persuade them I want them to believe because I want them to have this incredible highlight of heaven and experience God forever. Now I'm never going to try to manipulate anyone <laughs> to, to believe. Um, and I'm going to love all the people in my life, no matter what they believe exactly where they are. But I want my friends to believe this because I want them to experience God forever because I believe that's what they've been created for. I also believe very strongly that it's never our place to judge because the fact is that we're just commanded to actually inspect our own hearts and God's the one who knows everyone's hearts. You might ask the question that's, that's normally asked when this topic comes up and that's the question, what about those who've never heard about the name of Jesus? I just personally trust that God is loving and just 
and, and he will be loving and just for all that have not heard of Jesus' name. In fact, I have some confidence to believe that because there are heroes of the faith described in Hebrews chapter 11, many people who came before Jesus that were promised eternal life because of the faith that they held on to and because they were looking forward to living with God. Hebrews 11 describes some of these Old Testament heroes of the faith this way. All these people were still living by faith when they died, and they, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So we know that there are those in Israel, Israel and some outside of Israel that, that followed the faith of Israel, that were living by faith and they believed, though not necessarily in Jesus, they were living, longing to live with God in heaven forever. And it says here, he prepared a city for them as well. Add to that the other truth that I'm so thankful for is that we know that in heaven there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's a promise. Jesus said that the gospel would go and people from all walks of life everywhere around the world would believe. We, if you weren't here with us at the very start of the service, we, we read one of the great uh, visions that John receives in Re Revelation 7. And he says that he saw people from every tribe and tongue to get the gospel to everywhere. Again, the cross has removed every single barrier for us to have this eternal life with God, the highlight of heaven, except choice. And so I want to plead with you. I want to plead that you would choose him today if you haven't yet, that you would, like Jesus said, look to the cross just as the snake was risen. He said, I will be lifted high so that those who believe in me can have eternal life. I would just urge you to believe in him. When you do, it's as simple as that. When you have that faith in him, that's what he promised. Brings eternal life. And I'd like to say real quick that it's not the size of your faith because some, I know some of my friends that struggle, well, I don't have enough faith or I don't have the faith that you have. And the important thing to know, it's not the amount, it's not the size of your faith. It's the object of your faith. You can have a little faith, but the object of your faith is Jesus and his words that he spoke. And you can say, with the little faith that I have, I'm putting my rest in you. You're the object of my faith. I trust you, Jesus, as much as I'm able. I believe. Seeing Jesus face to face is going to be absolutely incredible. We've tasted of him here. Those of us who have put our faith in him, we know we've tasted of him. Scripture says that we've been given the Holy Spirit actually to reveal Jesus to us. So we have an experience with Jesus right now, but man, is it so dim. We see it dimly now, but we are going to see him face to face and we will know his love at that point like we've never known his love before. And I honestly can't wait for that day. I'd like to briefly close by just suggesting two simple things by way of application to these truths. One would be to make being with God your greatest desire here on earth. This isn't just the greatest desire, the, the highlight of heaven. We don't have to wait to experience it. We get to experience God right here on earth. And we can actually cultivate that desire within us right now. Admittedly, uh, that desire gets dampened by a lot of temptations and pleasures of the world. But we can resist those things. It should be no surprise that the way that we actually cultivate that desire is by spending time with God personally, 
in worship and prayer in his word and by putting ourselves around others who have a hunger for God and desire this most to be with him. And we put ourselves around them that they can encourage us and help us cultivate that desire as well. If this is the highlight of heaven in heaven, it is the highlight of earth too. And so cultivate your desire for God. And secondly, I'd say receive the secondary pleasures on earth as a gift of God and not a cause that cause you to worship. God does give us secondary gifts, just like we're going to have and enjoy in heaven. We have a lot of secondary gifts here on earth, but instead of trying to seek life and find satisfaction in them, instead see them as gifts of God that can cultivate worship and thanksgiving and your desire for God, who is the gift giver of all those things. I think this week has been especially hard. It's one of those weeks that actually causes you to long for heaven more than, more than most weeks and to see the vanity of the other things of the world that we, we put our trust in. And so I just ask that we would cultivate this desire and long for our new home and tell Jesus that you believe in him and you will have it. He will secure it for us. Let me close us in prayer. Father, we can't wait to be with you forever. You are our treasure. You are the highlight of heaven. Please cultivate that desire in us. Free us from the things of this world that dampen our desire. Free us from having a hard heart to the things that's the best thing you could ever give us, which is yourself. May we at Midtown Church experience your presence here on earth and grow in our desire to live with you for eternity. Thank you for loving us enough to die for us and to be the one that yourself was separated to hell, separated from the Father. We thank you, Jesus, that you did that so that you could make a way to give us this free gift of eternal life. We worship you this morning, Jesus, and pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.